It's 12.01, The Witching Hour. You're listening to WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. You are cleared for departure. Your destination, the late night fright. Commencing transmission in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my psychic premonition of a co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Today is February 8th, 2021, and this is the 201st edition of the Late Night Fright, the show that doesn't acknowledge the existence of skim milk. We only drink whole milk, don't we, Faith? That is correct. Whether you drink whole milk, skim milk, or even if you're one of those two percenters, We want to welcome each and every single one of you to the show, and we would especially like to welcome any spooks, specters, astral travelers, or interdimensional beings who may be tuning in or joining us here in the studio. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and get ready to howl at the moon, because I think we have a pretty good one tonight. We are celebrating one of the great names in horror, a true master of the macabre, a man who has woven tales that have kept me up at night, and I'm sure more than a few of you out there. Faith, who are we spotlighting tonight? The one and only Stephen King. Tonight, we're going to look at two King adaptations from the 1980s that star some very familiar and always welcome faces. Faith, what is tonight's first film? From director David Cronenberg, producer Deborah Hill, and screenwriter Jeffrey Boehm, we have 1983's The Dead Zone, starring the one and only Christopher Walken as a man gifted. Or is it cursed? With a gift of second sight. Ooh. Ooh. The future looks so bright, I think I might need shades. What is our second offering to the gods of horror this evening? We have King's own adaptation of his novella, Cycle of the Werewolf, 1985's Silver Bullet, starring Corey Haim, Everett McGill, and America's favorite crazy uncle, Gary Busey. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe a little bit of ah. We have a tale of eeriness and a monster movie. I think we might be living right, Faith. We're going to take a short pause for a coffee cause. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors. The Dead Zone with the one and only Christopher Walken is up first. I am Dan. I am Faith. You're listening to Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. We are so glad you're here. Rita Hooter Tudor's flatulence of the damned will blow you away. Joe Diamond was just like you and me until a witch put a curse on him. A curse that makes him unable to control his bowels. Experience the novel critics are calling the sweet smell of horror. Flatulence of the damned. Available in bookstores, in Cozy Corner, and around the world. Flatulence of the damned. Take a deep breath 
It might just be your last. Hey, Faith, did you know that David Cronenberg, the director of The Dead Zone, is considered one of the originators of the body horror genre? You mean what Wikipedia calls a subgenre of horror that intentionally showcases grotesque or psychologically disturbing violations of the human body, violations that may manifest through aberrant sex, mutations, mutilation, zombification, gratuitous violence, disease, or unnatural movements of the body? Well, yeah. Bet you didn't know he made an appearance in Jason X. Yes, I did. He played Dr. Wimmer. How many of those Friday the 13th movies are there? A lot. Please enjoy this vintage trailer for The Dead Zone. We'll see you on the other side. If the future were in your hands... Would you change it? It's not too late. Touch this man's hand, and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday, and nobody... I mean, nobody! Gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You're a devil. Send for me. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. What's happening to me? See how clear it all is. Not only can you see the future, I can change it. I was there, I saw it. Put your hand on the scanning screen and you'll go down in history with me. I saw his face. I stood there. I did nothing. She's Stephen King. The Dead Zone. Faith, isn't this how it always happens? You've had a lovely evening out with your significant other, and on the way home, you get in a terrible accident, wake up five years later, and have the gift of second sight. That's how it happens every time. It happened to me. It happened to me, too. Twice. Twice? You must be really gifted. You should be on the psychic network. Maybe I am. Ooh. Ooh, you're not Mrs. Cleo, are you? Maybe I am. From body horror maestro and star of Jason X, David Cronenberg, we have 1983's The Dead Zone, an adaptation of Stephen King's 1979 novel of the same name. Produced by the legendary Deborah Hill of Halloween fame, the film's screenplay went through several incarnations before writer Jeffrey Boehm condensed the book into a triptych. Faith, do you know what a triptych is? A piece of art divided into three sections. Well, yeah. That makes a lot of sense because screenplays are usually three acts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. 
The Dead Zone tells the tale of school teacher Johnny Smith, portrayed here by the one and only Christopher Walken. The first part of Boehm's triptych introduces us to Johnny before and after his accident. The second part deals with Johnny using his new gifts to help authorities apprehend a serial killer. And the final section of the triptych tells the story of Johnny making the ultimate sacrifice in bringing down politician Greg Stilson, a U.S. Senate candidate who brands himself as a man of the people, but is in actuality a ruthless demagogue who will bring about the apocalypse if he is elected president, which he will be if someone doesn't stop him. And that someone might be Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken is joined by Brooke Adams as Sarah Bracknell, Johnny's would-be fiance, Tom Skerritt as Castle Rock Sheriff George Bannerman, Herbert Lom as Dr. Sam Weissack, Anthony Zerby as Roger Stewart, Nicholas Campbell as Deputy Frank Dodd, a.k.a. the Castle Rock Killer, Colleen Dewhurst as his mother Henrietta, and Martin Sheen as Greg Stilson. Nicholas Campbell was Cronenberg's first choice for the role of Johnny Smith, and Stephen King wrote the role with Bill Murray in mind. Featuring a score from the late great Michael Kamen, The Dead Zone was released to theaters on October 21st, 1983 to positive critical reviews and was a box office success. Cronenberg would go on to direct another classic 80s horror film, The Fly, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Screenwriter Jeffrey Boehm, who passed away in 2000, is probably best remembered for writing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The Dead Zone would later be adapted into a USA Network series that starred Anthony Michael Hall as a character of Johnny Smith. The influence of the film can still be felt today, especially on the work of filmmakers like M. Night Shyamalan. Don't you mean Shyamalama Ding Dong? My apologies, Shyamalama Ding Dong. Tonight, we will be scoring The Dead Zone in four categories. Overall film, Christopher Walken in a barren winter wonderland, psychic visions, and supporting cast. In lieu of stars, we will be awarding The Dead Zone free psychic readings. Faith, what did you think of The Dead Zone, and how did you score it in overall film? So I thoroughly enjoyed this movie a lot. I think it was very entertaining. I gave this movie four free psychic readings. I gave it three and a half free psychic readings. Um, I'm going to get more into why I, I deducted a little bit from this movie, but I absolutely adore this movie. This movie is washed in white, mm-hmm. isn't it? The white yes. seems to be the predominant color and feeling mm-hmm. of this movie. And of all the films that we've done on this show up until this point, this movie is the most that feels the word that kept popping into my mind when I was watching this. It feels like a meditation. It's yeah. a movie where not a lot happens, mm-hmm. but everything, but happens. everything happens. Everything right. happens. And it's a movie that has a lot going on underneath the surface, a lot like its main character, Johnny played mm-hmm. by Christopher Walken. I think this is an absolutely kind of intense film. That's not intense at all. It's yeah. it's a study in contrast. There's so much going on underneath the surface of this movie. Yeah, I think there's a lot of dimension in the movie. I feel like there's sadness. I feel like there's like there's intensity, but it's not that intense all at the same time. I feel like there's a lot going on, and I feel like it works for this movie pretty well. There's a writer that I admire. Her name is Ann Beatty. Um, she's she's very well known writer. She studied in in college and things like that, and she's uh, she's uh, she's been around a long time now she's she's getting up there in years she wrote a book called chilly scenes of winter and 
that just kept popping into my mind as I was watching this movie. It just reminded me of, I was like, this is a chilly scene of winter <laughs> is, what, is what this is. And it's, uh, it's a tale that, like, like we've said, it's, it's, it's almost just meditation. And it's, you hit the nail on the head. There's a sense of sadness and tragedy underneath mm-hmm. this. And uh, fate, destiny, you know, things, yeah. things. This movie asks a lot of questions. It, it really does. And it doesn't really have answers, I think, for some of the questions it raises, you mm-hmm. know. And, and it's just absolutely fascinating. And not really a horror movie. Not really a science fiction film, uh, not really a supernatural film either. No. <laughs> because they make uh, concessions to what it is that, that he's he's dealing with here. Mm-hmm. But uh it, it's it's kind of its own thing. It's very eerie. Mm-hmm. It's just it's got it's yeah. got this air of eeriness about it. And what I love that the film does now let me say this before we get too far into this or into uh, Silver Bullet. I have not read the novels that neither have I. So I'm I'm basing this Strictly, strictly on what yeah. I'm seeing. I'm not looking at it as an adaptation so much to comparing it to right. source material because I, I don't know the source material. But I love that they they allude to Ichabod Crane and the Legend of Sleepy yes. Hollow because this was reminding me very much. I read Sleepy Hollow recently and it's got that just kind of New England tale to mm-hmm. it, you know, old America tale to it. Uh and if you read any of Washington Irving or Edgar Allan Poe or those things, this has that feel, mm-hmm. that almost early colonial feel to it for some reason, you know, probably because of the way it looks yeah, and I the wrote, area of the country I that it's in. I wrote my notes just vibe, like the vibe of it. Just it has its, its certain vibe to it. Perfectly. That, you know, yeah. <laughs> perfectly captured. Mm-hmm. Perfectly captured. And this is, this is, uh, I love, I love the story. I do love I the do story. Too. I do know, speaking of adaptation, Stephen King... Uh, I have it on good authority from a friend who is a big Stephen King fan that Stephen King does not outline his novels. The Dead Zone was the one novel that he did sit down and outline it and wrote from an outline. And apparently there's parallel stories happening in the Dead Zone. And he feels that the adaptation, the film adaptation, really did a great job of condensing that and and getting the most out of the narrative. And uh, so he had nice things to say about the adaptation. So it, it feels... It, it it also has a sense of inevitability about it. It just it's it's like that big boulder in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's rolling yes. and and it, and it rolls towards mm-hmm. where it's going. Yeah, so, that's true. Which segues into our next category: Christopher mm-hmm. Walken in a barren <laughs> winter wonderland, and he is indeed Christopher Walken is the Oscar Oscar winning star. Who uh, is the center of this film? Is Johnny Smith? Faith, uh, how many free psychic readings did you give Christopher Walken's performance in the Dead Zone? I went three here. I really did enjoy him. I feel like he did have good energy. I feel like I could feel certain things off of him. I feel like there were moments though that see if you agree with me. I feel like he wakes up, he realizes he has this gift or curse, and it kind of frightens him. And then it's kind of like I don't feel like he reacted to it. As much as I feel like that, someone would. That uh, that to me, uh, I gave That's him... That's not necessarily him, but... Yeah, I gave him four. I gave him four. And I gave him four because of a word I just used in the, in the previous <laughs> section. Restraint. This is like such a yeah. restrained performance. And I feel like you're watching... Uh, it's amazing how his performance makes the supernatural very natural mm-hmm. in, our, in our everyday. 
interactions. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, I totally get what you're saying. I think that's a problem of the narrative, which I'm, yeah. I'm going to address. But there was a real sense of haunting mm-hmm. in, in what yeah. he was doing here. And I don't know that this movie would work as well as it does with anyone else in the role. Yeah, I um, totally agree. Because of it would be real easy to overplay this when he touches the people mm-hmm. and he gets that shiver and jolt, you know. Right. They made great fun of this on Saturday Night Live back around 1991 oh, or I two. Imagine. He played uh, Ed. His name was Ed. It was Ed something trivial psychic. And he was in an accident that only made him able to see trivial things in mm-hmm. the future. Like you got a cup of coffee. <laughs> it's really hot. Oh my God, what's going to happen? You're going to spill it all over you. It's really going to hurt. <laughs> or something. It was sorry. It, it was really funny back in the days when Saturday Night Live was worth watching. Right. But uh, this, what I liked about it is Christopher Walken is one of those actors who's become kind of a, you know, I just did it. I did it. Everybody has a bad Christopher Walken impression. He's one of right, those guys. Right, right. Yeah. He's one of those guys. And it's not so much that you wait for Christopher Walken to pop his top like you do in <laughs> Al Pacino or Robert De Niro, you know, especially in this era. Right. But it, this film doesn't feel like it has that like Walken f- moment, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 imitatable moment, you yeah. know, um, the thing, you know, where you are ah, Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. you know, and he he is so dialed back in this movie. I love how dialed back he is. And. It it reminds me of Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. This the similarities between Unbreakable <laughs> and the Dead Zone are mm-hmm. really really striking. I don't know if Shyamalan Ding Dong, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he loves this movie. Uh, if that was intentional on his part, but right. you can so feel the influence on his work. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is such a quiet movie too, and Christopher Walken is very quiet in this movie, and. Uh, he, I love this. I, I love when actors play it on their face. He plays this so much on his face and yeah. in his eyes, and it's it's really, it's really a lovely performance. It really is. Like I said, I, I had no problem with it. I think there were just moments that I feel like, and it wasn't him necessarily. Again, like you said, I think it's a narrative thing that kind of, yeah, you know. And we're gonna get. Let's get to that. Uh, the next uh, category is psychic episodes. So as we said, this is divided into three distinct sections. You get Johnny, his life before the accident, his life after the accident. Then you get him helping Sheriff Bannerman apprehend the Castle Rock killer. And then finally, you get his dealings with uh, uh, Senator Stilson, played by Martin Sheen, and he decides to make the ultimate sacrifice. It's it's the question of if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? Which right. they actually say that <laughs> mm-hmm. in. In the movie. Would you uh, go there? I, I went three. I went three. And let me tell you what my biggest problem is here. It's what you were noticing in the performance. I feel like as much as I love this and love the little episodes, it feels very episodic. And it doesn't feel like there's a through line connecting mm-hmm. the connective tissue. It's like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And I don't feel like we get ample enough uh, an ample amount of time to spend with him the the almost shakespeare soliloquy moment with him really grappling with these abilities Mm -hmm. you know because it is a shock to him right and uh it would have it would have been nice to see him adjust you almost need to see him a little more in his everyday life beforehand and then you need to repeat that and see try to see him try to get back into his life Mm -hmm. and how different it is and they do allude to it a little bit 
you know, uh, he almost kind of becomes a Messiah figure in, in a way, but, um, I feel like you need a little bit more of that. You need to see the toll it was taking on him mm-hmm. because then what's always weirded me out about this movie is that he decides to sacrifice himself at the end, mm-hmm. which doesn't, and I get where he's coming from, but I don't feel like that ending is earned in, in the scope of this film, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I do love this. Uh, I, I love it. But my other problem that I have and, uh, we can talk about this here, not with supporting cast. Is the uh, the character that Brooke Adams plays? I have absolutely no sympathy for her, Mm-mm. none <laughs> for her whatsoever. And he makes this sacrifice almost for her in a way, you know. And here she is. I understand the guy's in a coma for five years, and that's hard on anybody. And mm-hmm. you're not married at that point, but you do obviously care about this person. Right. And life moves on, and you do not know what she was told information wise as. To whether or not this guy was going to get better or not, but mm-hmm. it really feels like in the movie that she did turn her back mm-hmm. on him. It really I felt I, that I got way. That. And then she shows up and wants to play house with him for a day. Yep, for a day. And then she goes away and says, "This can never be like this again." And to add insult to that injury, she does have a child with another man. And then you meet the other guy, you know, and he's out there canvassing for Stilson, who is a, who really is an awful, awful mm-hmm. human being. He's really the villain of this. He's really the 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 evil in the movie. Is right. I love the fact it's a politician, you know, because um, <laughs> right. boy, they're they're not even on my list of where they're so far down, you know. Like I, I don't like politicians, but um. But he's like the worst of all of that. And she doesn't elicit any sympathy from me. Mm-mm. And then he, it feels like he's making this sacrifice for her. And it's like, well, she's part of the problem. She'll get this guy elected. <laughs> she walked out on you, Johnny. <laughs> did, did she feel overly callous? Yeah, to I, you? I, I felt like I just felt like she was, I mean, maybe not pointless completely, but. I just, and then, I don't it, know. and then it feels like she's, she's kind of haunting him a little bit because mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in it is when he tells her, you know, it's basically like, listen, I, I don't remember how he said if he said leave me alone, but he he said, uh, for you it's been five years, for me it was yesterday, and it was that was a heartbreaking little mm-hmm. moment because you realize this guy hasn't moved on, this guy hasn't even processed anything, right? Yet. You know, this was yesterday, literally yesterday for me. And I don't think that's really sunk in. And then she shows up at this house and she has dinner and wants to play family. Mm-hmm. And it felt very cold and callous and it didn't feel like. It was meaningful. Or- it was meaningful. And there was a movie called Castaway that came out in 2000 with Tom Hanks and Helen Hunt. And he's stuck on an island for years and years and years. And I feel like that movie did a wonderful job of dealing with that fallout when he when she's married and uh, maybe has a kid at that point. And, and you think the guy's dead. Mm-hmm. You think the guy's dead. And they they do a great job of addressing it and addressing the feelings, you know, and yeah. and letting it go, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And this it just it, she she almost seems like a ghost haunting him in a way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's true. She she really didn't get a lot of sympathy Mm-mm. from me, Mm-mm. and I, and I feel like it colors, you know, colors that section. Yeah, know, no, kinda, I kinda agree. Color section. Now let's talk about the three sections. Was there a section that you enjoyed? I really enjoyed the Castle Rock Killer stuff, and I wanted. A lot more of that. Uh, yeah. That's what I wanted this movie to be. <laughs> well, first, let me tell you my score for the psychic vision yes. moment. It's funny. We kind of reversed. I gave it a four 
for like two specific reasons. Okay. Number one, I really loved the moment with uh, Dr. Wyzak. Is that what his name was? Yes. Played by uh, the great Herbert Lom. Him having that moment, like just like realizing his mom and stuff, you know, I think that was just so. Yeah. It was just so touching, I feel like. Yeah. So that's kind of why I scored it a little I, higher because it was just so And I good. love the uh I love everything leading up to that moment too. The flashback and you see it and you're putting it together. And I love what it does narratively too, because it shows that he can see into the past and see things mm-hmm. that, you know, it's Yeah. So you're getting kind of cool narrative stuff there, mm-hmm. you know, that you're gonna need moving forward. But uh yeah, that that's a one that is really that's part of the heartbeat of this movie. Yeah, you know, because he can influence people. So positively. Mm-hmm. There's that. And then, like you said, the Castle Rock Killer. I definitely wanted yeah. more of that, too. But when he's kind of standing there, like, putting things together in his head, I really liked that. I feel like it kind of, it should have carried out more, I feel like, maybe, with more of it going yeah. on. Yeah. And I do feel like part of that did carry through to the end when, yeah. he, when he sees the young woman in the gazebo getting murdered, which is, is so heinous. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really the only act of violence in this film, mm-hmm. you know, but it's so heinous. I know. And it uh, when he says, you know, I was standing there and I couldn't help her and I couldn't mm-hmm. help. And then at the end, he does feel he can do something, but it still feels like he's doing it for this woman. Yeah. For, for me. So yeah. that's but no, the Castle Rock killer stuff is absolutely wonderful. It almost feels like the dead zone should be. Now, it was a television series and a, and a very good television series. It was a nice adaptation. Uh, a lot more fun than this but uh and they're obviously able to get deeper into you know the uh the psyche and the story right. and and the the brooke adams character she's married she is married with a kid in that but they do address everything and so there is a moving on you know and some dynamics there but um it really almost feels like the dead zone needs to be like a, a longer series like a long limited series because you yeah. need you need to get time with all yeah of i this, agree yeah I, I think yeah like probably eight episodes or something you know not to be maybe like true detective or something just kind yeah, of it really could be yeah yeah the the last section the stillson the, that's kind of centered around stillson man martin sheen is just <laughs> amazing in this movie and i think that segues neatly into our next category yeah. supporting cast um i went for for the for free psychic readings <laughs> for the simple reason that herbert Lom and martin sheen and Tom Skerritt, who is always so good, mm-hmm. just completely blew me away in this movie. And this is the kind of movie I like and the kind of performances that I like where not a lot, it seems like not a lot is happening and mm-hmm. so much is happening. And anytime Martin Sheen gets to eat like he does here on screen and just play so many different shades and he he, he nails that man of the people thing, mm-hmm. that front, yes. he nails that. Mm-hmm. It's so good, and he, and I believe that he's a sociopath, and I believe that he's this just evil, evil guy. He blew me away. Brooke Adams, I don't like the character. She's great. She's always great. <laughs> yeah, I don't like her character, but the, the cast is so good. Colleen Dewhurst playing Henrietta, uh, the uh, mother of Nicholas Campbell's uh, Dodd, Deputy Dodd, who's the Castle Rock killer. It, it, it's a great cast, but, mm-hmm. but Martin Sheen and Herbert Lom really – put this in that next level for me. Yeah, they were amazing. And and I went three on it because like we talked about Brooke Adams. I love her, but I feel like they did so good with everybody else. And then I feel like there's just this one character that just doesn't do anything for me. Just doesn't, I don't know, if like her story with him just doesn't yeah. feel connected or feel real or meaningful. It doesn't, or, yeah. 
it's not really compelling. No. It's not compelling Mm-mm. stuff. It's you just know. kind of there. It, it feels like they needed to throw in way. a woman and there it was. It feels <laughs> that way. And I feel like it's a testament to how good the rest of the movie is mm-hmm. that I'm willing to like kind of overlook, overlook it, yeah. what, what should be a pretty big, you know, yeah. component of this. It's it, but really, it's really good. It's it's really a oh, great, it's a very good. It's watch. a great supernatural, eerie kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the uh, kind of scientific explanation of this? You know, I love the whole thing that the dead zone isn't anything to do with supernatural. It's with the area of the brain that mm-hmm. he's he's act. You know, it's a dead zone in the brain that he's accessing, and I like that it's not. Um, it's not like a strange. Right, thing. it's not looked at like, oh, you're a freak or you're creepy or anything. Yeah, I, I like that it's kind of almost medical, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a way. Like, I, I like the supernatural stuff that tries to take a scientific approach mm-hmm. to it. That tries to at least explain it right. with, with some kind of scientific approach, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's, there's other times, supernatural movies, where it's fine. It's, it's, it is what it is, and I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that they did try to explain it. Yeah, I do, I do too. I feel like, it, like you said, it kind of gives it more meaning when they kind of explained it a little more like that. And I heard that they, uh, when Jeffrey Boehm, uh, the late, great Jeffrey Boehm, uh, turned in his final draft that Cronenberg and he and Deborah Hill went through and they were really vicious with really trimming all the fat off it, off the novel, off of the script and getting it real down, really down to the bare bones. And I'm wondering if maybe some of it should have stayed, Mm -hmm. could have stayed. Right. Possibly. Possibly. That, that would be interesting. Again, I haven't read the book, but it does feel like there's little, there's little beats, missing, little beats that need that need to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's like some more explanation of Johnny's mother being so religious mm-hmm. and, and and things of that nature. But uh, it's, it's really great. It really is. I mean, it's, it's really wonderful. Let me ask this before we close up shop. Uh, Stephen King wrote this with Bill Murray in mind. Now, Bill Murray has become quite the. Bill Murray's quite an actor mm-hmm. anyway, but he's become quite the dramatic actor and uh, has been nominated for a, for a Best Actor Oscar for playing a dramatic role. Uh, could you have seen Bill Murray in this? I could have. I think I could have. I could have. He's got that every guy quality mm-hmm. to him, and I think it would have been unique and special. I really do. Didn't you say you it, I had a, I had a moment. I had a dead zone moment. <laughs> yeah, did. because I had uh, I I'd watched the movie and... As we like to do here on the show, we watch the movie and then we do research. I don't like to go in with Knowing any preconceived st- yeah. notions of what could have been, mm-hmm. what is, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of like second guessing the movie. I like to just watch the movie, let it happen, mm-hmm. and then start doing research. And, and what we do here, we pick and choose things that we find interesting. So the whole thing with Bill Murray, I found that really interesting. And But uh, I, I, I was getting ready to do my research, <laughs> and I had been watching the USA show with Anthony Michael Hall which I do recommend as a kind of a fun watch. And I'll look back at early 2000s television. And uh, that was one of the most sh- uh, watched shows on USA when it was on, if you can believe that. I haven't when seen it, it. It was pretty good. And they kind of did an adaptation of the Castle Rock Killer stuff right in the beginning and okay. the first part of the novel. Uh, and they mentioned Greg Stilson in the pilot. So it was, it was kind of cool. But uh, so I'm sitting down to do my research and I said, for some reason, I, I said, you know, that would have been really interesting with Bill Murray. I could I could have seen Bill Murray play that role, and I start doing research, and I and his name pops up. And it was one of those really. It was kind of like uh, you know, aha, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, the universe smiling yep. down or something. So it was really, it, it was, it was kind of a dead zone moment. And, exactly. And I, I texted Faith. I was like, I was like, man, this, I had this weird moment, and she just kind of giggled like she is now. So, yeah. But I could have seen him. I could have seen him do it. That would have been really, especially early '80s Bill Murray. Yeah. You know, it would have been a real departure. Um, I know. So. <laughs> May have even been interesting to see some. He he was dead then, but uh, Belushi doing this uh, dramatic role. Yeah, yeah. that would have been John something. could have done anything. John was great, but I think the guy that we have in this is pretty damn good. <laughs> he is pretty damn good. I like the movie. I really I like the movie. Really, really great, good pick. Great supernatural thriller. Mm-hmm. More of a thriller. But uh, before we before we do close it up, uh, the M Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. I mean, can you see the influence? Because oh, I, I I was thinking of Unbreakable when absolutely. I was watching this. I think yeah. Unbreakable might be kind of a sort of better telling of of this. Oh, I I, I think so personally. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely see the influence. Yeah, yeah. because you even got the psychic stuff in Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And Unbreakable, that was a movie you and I both really, really liked. That's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) It's one of my favorite movies, too. And and Tarantino called it one of the greatest movies of the past 25 or so years. He's a smart man. He is a smart man. (laughs) He's a very smart man. So there we go. We will tally up our scores, and we'll have those for you at the end of the night. The films tonight are not in competition, but uh, we just like the score of the movies. (laughs) Helps us zero in on the review. Yep. So we have the supernatural tale out of the way, which means we have a little bit of full moon fever coming up. We got a werewolf movie coming up in the guise of 1985's Silver Bullet, starring the late, great Corey Haim and the one and only Gary Busey. That's Oscar nominee Gary Busey to all of you out there. We're going to take a very short break. We are going to get ourselves fresh cups of coffee. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Because you've listened to the news, there's a reason they call it programming. You've been programmed to be a slave, a sheep. You've got to wade through three layers of crap to even touch the surface of the truth. Luckily, I'm here for you. Join me, your unnamed host from an undisclosed location for conspiracies, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Your life may depend on it. Jerry, what are you doing down in the basement? You better not be watching Skinamax again. I'm doing my show, Mom. God! Conspiracies, exclusively on WKMF, Cozy Corner, Public Radio. Hey, Faith. Did you know that Silver Bullet is part of a slew of werewolf films that were released during the 80s? You mean films like Wolfen, The Howling, An American Werewolf in London, Full Moon High, The Company of Wolves, Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, Teen Wolf, Howling 3, and Teen Wolf 2? Well, yeah. No, I didn't know that. Stay tuned for the original theatrical trailer for Silver Bullet. We will see you on the other side. After that, whenever the moon was full, 
it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. Who like that at me? Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Faith, isn't this always how it happens? You're doing your best to grow up in a peaceful little town, and out of nowhere there's a damn werewolf that shows up and wreaks havoc. That is always how it happens. Always, without fail. Stephen King's Silver Bullet, adapted by the author from his novella Cycle of the Werewolf, was originally going to be directed by acclaimed Phantasm director Don Coscarelli, who left the picture over creative differences with producer producer Dino De Laurentiis. That was a mouthful right there, Faith. That's what she said. Cos- <laughs> there it is. Coscarelli was replaced by television director Daniel Atias, and to date, this is his only credit as a feature film director. Silver Bullet tells the tale of the small town of Tarker's Mill, a place that was quite idyllic and peaceful until the killing started and then continued every month on the nights of the full moon. Ooh. The late Corey Haim stars as Marty Koslaw, a handicapped tween with a souped-up wheelchair called the Silver Bullet, designed by his Uncle Red, portrayed here by Oscar nominee, that's right, Faith, Oscar nominee Gary Busey. The people of Tarker's Mill think a maniac is on the loose, but Marty knows better. Marty knows. It's a werewolf. Veteran character actor and Twin Peaks star Everett McGill co-stars as Reverend Lowe, a minister with a rather sinister secret. A secret that comes out during the full moon. The town is also populated with familiar faces such as Terry O'Quinn, Lawrence Tierney, and Bill Smitrovich. Megan Follows appears as Marty's sister Jane, and their relationship with each other and their alcoholic Uncle Red forms the heart of the film. Featuring a Jerry Goldsmith S score by Jay Chataway and Creature Designs by Carlo Rambaldi, Silver Bullet was released to theaters on October 11th, 1985 to mixed reviews. The film's influence can still be felt today on the Netflix series Stranger Things. Tonight we will be scoring Silver Bullet in the following four categories. Overall film, Growing Up is Hard, Full Moon Fever, and The Busey Bonanza. In lieu of stars, we will be awarding Silver Bullet Badass Wheelchairs. Faith, you have the honor. What did you think of Silver Bullet, and how did you score it in the category of overall film? I really, really, really like this movie a lot. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was really fun. Um, 
Man, there was really some horrific stuff I think going on in here. I gave it four badass wheelchairs. I went three badass wheelchairs okay. on it. I um, and it's more uh, the problem I had with this film. Why I deducted? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Stand by Me? The Stand by yes. Me is another Stephen King adaptation. Well. You have Richard Dreyfus uh, narrating the story. Will Wheaton plays the younger version of Richard Dreyfus's character. You have this big revelation at the end of Stand by Me that River Phoenix's character died, mm-hmm. which then colors the the film that the preceding events, much like American Graffiti. When you get the thing at the end, then it colors right. the film. So you're getting the story from the sister. The film takes place in 1976, and you have this narration, and it's very much like stand by me you're getting the story of this kid marty really special kid who's who is you know Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair and that narration really doesn't go anywhere that to me was a was a was an issue because i felt you could take that narration out and make the movie even more kind of chilling because Mm -hmm. i knew that the sister was going to make it (laughs) (laughs) you know and I, and I thought then there was going to be some kind of reveal, you know, right. or something at the end, like Marty had died, you know, later, you know, and this was our, our, this was our great adventure. And so that, for some reason, that really bothered me when the movie was over. But everything else, <laughs> everything else in this movie is so much fun. It really is. And much better, I think, than it has any right to be. <laughs> And what a wonderful creature feature. What a wonderful werewolf movie. This is the best werewolf movie we've done on this show outside of <laughs> American Werewolf in London. Very and true. I just don't think you're going to top you're going to top an American Werewolf no, in London. No. Uh, winner of the Friday for yeah. best picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. I I could have easily been annoyed by that, but I don't know, the narration I guess didn't stand out enough to me where it bothered me that much. I guess it wasn't that much of a, I don't know. It, I'll, it, I'll it, go there. For me, you know what it was, too, was it ended on that narration, too. Yeah. And I went, really? I guess it was kind of just there for me. I mean, I, I had so much fun watching the movie. Yeah. I enjoyed it so much that it didn't bother me that, yeah. you know, to yeah. that extent. And, and, and I know, I, know I, I could be a little nitpicky there with no, it. No, but no, I, no. But it, this I'm, was, it feels like if a universal monster movie was turned into an 80s slasher mm-hmm. film. Yeah. And I love that uh, it feels like this is kind of what a werewolf movie, if you're not focusing on the werewolf as the main character, as the Wolfman did, mm-hmm. or American Werewolf in London, right. or Curse of the Werewolf from Hammer Studios did, where you don't know who the, who the monster is until mm-hmm. a little after halfway through the film. And so you're not getting the story of a man who turns into a wolf, the ag- that agony. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You're getting it from this kid. Yeah. And I love that aspect I of this. Too. So it feels like a slasher film from the 80s in which the werewolf is the slasher mm-hmm. and like a classic kind of universal film because I love when they go hunting this thing and you've got like the <laughs> mist on the moors, you know, yes. in England and they're out there in the, in the woods of is it North Carolina that they're in or... I, I assumed it was Maine because all of his stuff is in Maine, but I, I think I remember reading North Carolina or it was filmed in North Carolina sure. or something like this. But really wonderful story. Literally the boy who cried wolf. You've got some really great performances here. We're going to get to the the big guy there, the, the Oscar nominee, 
toward the end, but Gary Busey is wonderful in this in this film. I know. Corey Haim, the late mm-hmm. great Corey Haim. Uh, it's a nice segue to our next category. Growing up is hard, and uh, looking at the kid performances in this movie and just the whole general atmosphere of uh, growing up. And uh, I went uh, three. I went three I badass wheelchairs. Um, I think Corey Haim is really wonderful. I think this is his first film. He would go on to bigger success in uh, The Lost Boys and films like Lucas. And uh, he unfortunately, and I and mean that sincerely, unfortunately, was a product of the Hollywood system and what the Hollywood system does to young people. Mel Gibson has said it. If uh, you just need to look that up, look up what they do. It's pretty vile. Not mm-hmm. all of not all of them, but a lot of them. And that mm-hmm. was really becoming in vogue there. And uh, yeah, uh, so, you know, rest in peace, Corey Haim. Hope you have found peace. But yes. uh, he was absolutely wonderful here. And this, mm-hmm. this is a this is a tweenager, you know, given this performance and given this performance against the likes of Gary Busey, you know, right. who is a really and listen, Gary Busey is a presence, <laughs> is a presence and and at times a very, very good actor. And I want to stress this again, an Oscar nominated actor for playing Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story and is I, I think um He's always a welcome presence for I, I get a kick out of Gary Busey and not not in the um um you know uh, ironic way with mm-hmm. him no no like I legitimately get a kick out of Gary Busey but uh, no but Corey Haim is holding his own with Gary Busey what yeah. did you think of uh, Corey Haim's performance here because this is the anchor of this oh movie. yeah no I loved him I feel like he definitely had that that tween thing going on but I feel like he was also mature in a way but not. Where you're looking at him like, oh, no, he's playing this too old. You know, we've yeah. talked about that before where he does they feel try to like a kid. Up. He, does he does feel like a kid. You know, he wants to go. He wants to do fireworks like <laughs> that's what a kid wants to do. Right. Right. But no, I, I really liked him. I liked the sister, too. I think at moments she was maybe she was the one that was a little more mature in a way. Yeah, she was older. She so. was, but I feel like sometimes she was more, she almost felt more parental. And Megan, Megan Follows had some really wonderful moments in this film, too. But, she, I, she, I, but I, I enjoyed both of them. I mean... Her collecting cans and discovering the mm-hmm. truth about the werewolf and who it was was really, really wonderful. Mm, yeah. And uh, him, uh, what I liked about Corey Haynes' performance, uh, one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, is when he's out and he's on the bridge mm-hmm. you know, with the fireworks and he sees the wolf and, and all that and he oh, yeah. injures the wolf. Is I like how scared he is, right? You know, and and you hit the nail on the head. Faith and I, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, and if you listen to uh, any movies we've done where there's kids in the movie, we always talk about are these movie kids or are mm-hmm. these real kids? And he feels like, like a, a real, real kid. kid, yeah. And he reacts how a real kid would react. And yeah. one of the things I like here too is he is it's kind of that purity of 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 childhood, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. It's a werewolf. He he has no problem, no problem accepting that it's a werewolf. Right. You know, and then uh, I love the fact that he has these souped up uh, wheelchairs. I oh, love I that he has the wheelchairs, and um, I like that the people in the town and the kids around him. This isn't about him being bullied or anything like that. He seems to be very much a part of yeah. his little social circle, and they and they like him, mm-hmm. and he likes them, and they. They get into trouble together and they do things yeah. and, and, and cut up and things that, you know, kids used to do. <laughs> and uh, I, I, genuinely, I genuinely like him and I like the sister, too, in this. And yeah. and, and I, I, I like it. You 
too. It's, it's fun. I think, I feel like it's it's from him, from or both of them, really. I think, they, I think they're fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. And their interactions with, with Busey, I think, is, yeah. is, is really, really great. Their interactions with the booger at the center of this movie, uh, the werewolf played by Everett McGill, who plays Reverend Sloan. Everett McGill is, of course, a very welcome face. He is in Twin Peaks. He played Big Ed. He was also in a movie that we both really liked, The People Under the Stairs. Mm-hmm. That, that was a crazy uh, movie and a really crazy performance from him. And I remember we both really singled him out yeah. when we were talking about that because he he's just so left field in that movie but uh he's been wonderful in in a lot of different movies uh heartbreak ridge with clint eastwood and i always enjoy whenever mcgill pops up i think he's a good solid presence yeah he plays the reverend Lowe here who is indeed the werewolf haunting tarker's mill every month <laughs> faith how many badass wheelchairs did you give i went four you went four i went for the full four you went four <laughs> he is brutal when he's the wolf, he's actually he's actually kind of terrible. That's the reverend. He's too. terrible. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely terrible. He's terrible the all the way around. But I mean, I love the transformation scenes. Watching him yeah. transform, I love just how brutal though he is. He doesn't even really attack everybody with his teeth. At one point, he's beaten the I think the sheriff for the bat. Like yeah, <laughs> he just right. goes for it with whatever's right. around. I went three, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Do you know why I went three? I wanted to see more of him. <laughs> Like, like I actually I mean, yeah, I legitimately agree. wanted to see more yeah. of the creature. Yeah. And I love the look of the creature. I, I know. I do now, too. And that was the thing that was kind of upsetting. I was like, wait, this thing looks fabulous. I like, know. And you don't really get to see the creature too terribly much in like American Werewolf in mm-hmm. London. But like, I really wanted to see. I was like, I wanted more. <laughs> you know, I want. I just wanted more like to physically see him. Yeah. And uh, I love the way that they did it with the point of view, you know, things. I love that the werewolf has... When he is the werewolf, he has some kind of intelligence about him. I, mm-hmm. I did read that in the novella that the werewolf actually kind of speaks a little bit. Mm-hmm. So okay. it has some some form of speech. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. Reverend Lowe is an awful, awful person. awful person. Did you know or did you have a suspicion that it was going to be him? You know, it had been a long time since I'd seen this. In fact, it had been since I was a kid. When I, I remember, you know what I remembered from this movie? What? I remembered the wheelchairs. I remembered <laughs> the little badass motor scooters that he had. I remembered, yeah, that's the kind of thing you remember, right? Yeah, they're cool. And uh, it, so I was watching it for this, and, and it felt like a first-time watch in, in a lot of ways. I had my suspicions it was him. Mm-hmm. I did. I had my suspicions that it was him, and, and you know, I don't feel the movie telegraphs it, but... It's pretty apparent who it is. There were, yeah, there were moments for me. I was like, I feel something's up with him. And then when they when they went around and showed the one eye, I went, uh huh. <laughs> I was like, I knew right. it. <laughs> there was some really funny stuff with him too. With the uh, <laughs> as awful as it was, I mean, when he killed the kid with the kite, you know, and he's yeah. given the sermon at the funeral, <laughs> and it and it's really dark humor. And then when the three people that he kills, you know, they're out hunting, you know, and they at the three coffins and, you know, words don't seem to, you know, <laughs> I can't find the words or so whatever the line was. And uh, it was just it, like, there was some really dark humor with I him, know. you know, and it was around that. I was like, yeah, it's him. <laughs> you know, it's got to be. 
and him having the dream of the werewolves mm-hmm. and all that, which is the most you get as far as the you know the uh, full moon fever with which you get like an American werewolf in London, mm-hmm. and even the Wolfman you get it, you know the guy right. dealing with it. But I like that the focus really wasn't on him, but mm-hmm. uh, oh, he's a he's a bastard in every sense of the the car chase with him and yes. And he scared me when he uh, the bridge scene, which is one of my favorites mm-hmm. in this film. When he comes up under yes. the bridge and stand there, like you know, and yes. uh, he's he's a creeper. Yeah, you know? I, I had a thought to myself, like, whoa, like he's a creeper. That's, yeah, yeah, uncomfortable. It, very uncomfortable. Yeah, and Everett McGill seems to be having the time of his life oh. playing this, and I love how he plays it. He doesn't overplay it. He no, doesn't underplay. It. He 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 does it. He just he lets his look. Mm-hmm. Once you know who it is, he lets his look. Kind of, kind, kind of, of play, play yeah, yeah, and and I like too that we don't even really have a story of why, right? This is I don't need it either. Gary, I mean, was it Gary Busey's character who said maybe he doesn't even know? Maybe how, he didn't even know. Yeah, one and, of them said maybe he didn't even know. Yeah. I, and I didn't. We said this with the Dead Zone, uh, how sometimes you don't need to know things. You know, yeah, you know? I, didn't I didn't feel that I needed yeah, his story. Neither. This movie's made today. You're going to get 20 minutes on on. On, why you know, something happened or why, how it ha- yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's going to serve no uh, it's going to serve some political agenda <laughs> <laughs> remember when movies used to be fun yeah. like this this yeah, movie what happened what happened yeah <laughs> the millennium people used to the be mil- <laughs> people used to be fun yeah Everett mcgill was just wonderful in this you know he and, was. and he's a wonderful piece of a wonderful Mm-hmm. movie what i like though is that you could take the werewolf stuff out of here and it is still a fun story about a kid growing up in a small town you know and, and coming of age mm-hmm. it's a coming of age tale and the werewolf i think in a lot of ways uh, we've talked about this with uh, elm street in particular freddy krueger represents that adulthood thing mm-hmm. that's sitting there waiting for you the werewolf represents the thing waiting for you the obstacle to mm-hmm. overcome to get into adulthood or in Marty's case, you know, his teenage years, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I really liked, it. I, what did you think about the creature design by, oh, by Carlo Rambaldi and Dino De Laurentiis didn't like the creature design. There was a lot of fallout hmm. with Dino over this movie. Don Coscarelli left because of that. And then he didn't like the werewolf design and Stephen King. And then the director Atias and Rambaldi were like, no, this is it. So he, he, Relented on that, but there were some problems with him, and he was—he's an interesting guy, you know, Dale He's not with us anymore, but uh, he made some great movies, and then he made some movies uh, like this, so like where he did, would get in the way in a lot of ways, hmm. and, and you know, ruin the picture almost. <laughs> Thank God he didn't ruin ruin the no, picture. I mean, uh, and to his credit, he did—he uh, did own the rights to the Dead Zone. He was. Uh, you know, one right. of producers on that. It, he had the great foresight to let Deborah Hill be the producer on that. So there you go. Yeah. So, and he got out of their way on that. So, you know, but yeah. maybe that's why we could have had more werewolf. If, if maybe, maybe so. All right. Our final category tonight, the one I've been waiting for, the Gary Busey, <laughs> Busey Bonanza, the Oscar nominated Gary Busey. He has become something of a joke in pop culture, unfortunately. Yeah. Some would say he's done it to himself. Uh, he's an interesting character. I have enjoyed him for many, many years. He is in one of my favorite movies of all time, Point Break. Uh, he's been great. He's great in leading roles. He's great in supporting roles. He's had many ups and downs in his career. But uh, I think he's really great here. Uh, how did you score Gary Busey in this film? <laughs> well, I went, I went a full four with him. And let me tell you why. I was actually shocked by his performance 
I expected it to be not as good as this was. I haven't, I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff. I obviously know who he is, but I haven't seen him. I haven't seen a lot of his work. And I was actually going into this thinking, okay, this is going to be some joke or, right, you know. And I was actually, okay, he's not that terrible. I liked his relationship with yeah. the kids and stuff. I liked that he actually believed them and he was kind of centered with them. And it kind of, you know, yeah. went on this this hunt with them. He's, I liked um, him. Uh, uh, what I'm about to say, please don't read anything into this, but he was really the perfect choice for this. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know Gary Busey has had some substance issues, uh, so this is not what I'm saying. He was the perfect choice to play this alcoholic uncle. Right. And I believe he's one of those guys, I actually believe he's that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at him because he's not like that movie star, matinee, handsome guy. Right. He, he's not an awful looking guy by any stretch of the imagination, but... You look at him and, and you think he's that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he belongs in that place. Mm -hmm. And and he had put on some weight for the, I mean, one critic said a rotund performance from Gary Busey. And it really is a rotund <laughs> performance in more ways than one. And I feel like Gary Busey has his box and he plays in it and he doesn't overstep his bounds. You know, he's, there are just so many great moments with him. And he ad-libbed a lot of his lines. They let him because he was so kind of in the zone with this guy. Mm -hmm. And so he would give them what was on the page, and he's like, hey, let me do it. You know, and he'd, <laughs> he'd do his thing. And uh, there's just, I gave him a 3-5 because I wanted more. I just, I did. I wanted more Gary Busey. I did too. I wanted more Gary Busey. Um, it should have been like the parents were like on a three-month vacation, and we just had him the whole yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, there's so many moments with him that stick out. The, him sticking up for Marty with mm -hmm. the mother when he builds him the uh, the kind of motorcycle yeah. chair. And, but he builds it for him and then he bends down and gives him the kiss on the cheek and says, now that's cause I love you. Now you be careful, you know, be careful out there. And mm -hmm. he, you could tell he loves and adores this kid and it, right. it's not overplayed no, at, all. Not at all. And it's, there, there's some really touching stuff in here too with him and the kids. And like I said, I was kind of shocked at that stuff. It was yeah. like, there was more sincerity than I thought. A lot of sincerity. I was going to, yeah. you know, I was expecting yeah. Yeah, and again, because Gary Busey has become sort of a joke for for whatever reason, mm -hmm. you know, through either you know the media message, you know, or, or his own, you know, his own fault, whatever. Yeah. I mean, there is Gary Busey pet judge or whatever there was years ago. But uh, again, I'm going to say this again: take a shot every time I say Oscar nominee Gary Busey. This guy is an Oscar nominee. This guy has has hung on screen. Yeah. With some real heavy players, and and then he turns in something like this, which is just this really lovely piece of character work. It really and and is. Uncle Red is. Don't you want to be friends with Uncle Red? Yeah. Don't you want Uncle Red to be your uncle? Yes. And I feel in a lot of ways I have an Uncle Red. I have that guy in my life. You know, not not to this degree, but <laughs> but that guy. You know, and, right. and I think every kid maybe sort of has that. You know, that that mm -hmm. that special. You know, uh, authority figure in their life you yeah. know who's who's not just like a parental mm -hmm. uh, figure but a, but a friend too mm -hmm. and 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 i love him and, and the relationship that he has with him is is very real it feels very again I, I go back to listen i love you but that he i built that for you because i love you mm -hmm. yeah that it felt yeah now be careful but he wants him to be careful yeah and it's mm -hmm. it's really great it really it's is really great. I mean, and, he, and he's with him at the end you know with the uh when the werewolf comes and uh he he's great He's absolutely great. I think, yeah, I think he is too. Like yeah. I said, 
it was much more than I expected. And Stephen King was very happy with uh, letting him ad lib go off the page because <laughs> they said he just for what he 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 had it he he knew hey, what this works, guy was works. yeah <laughs> it worked it it really did it really did I seem to recall before we take a break when we did the Wolfman uh, really in the first part of the run of the show mm-hmm. and I remember that wasn't your favorite film uh, of the Universal mm-hmm. canon. And I, I remember distinctly that you said that the werewolf film has not really been your kind of go-to, mm-hmm. you know, in in the horror genre. Uh, we've seen a couple of good werewolf films now, and has that changed your opinion on the werewolf film any? A little bit, and I think, I think now, kind of thinking back, I think it's maybe the perspective, maybe how the story's told, that's kind of changed my mind. Because we've watched this movie and it's coming from a different place. Mm-hmm. And then American Werewolf in London's kind of coming from a different place. And it just, I don't know. I think, I think it just depends on how it's, how it's told. Okay. How it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it really kind of depends on the, uh, destruction that the werewolf causes. Yeah. You know? But yeah, and, I uh, mean, that, yeah. It, what I like about this movie, the danger feels very real mm-hmm. in this film. Very real. Very real. And uh, it, it, this is really well done. It's, a, it's kind of a special little movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like it might be a little underrated. Oh, I would say so. One, this one might be underrated. Can you see the influence of this? I was watching this and Stranger Things is, is we're going to be getting season four this year, I believe. And Robert England will be making an appearance in at least two episodes that we read. And we're, we're excited about that. Yeah. And uh, I was watching this. And of all the things, because we've talked about Stranger Things on the show Spielberg, John Carpenter, and Stephen King are really the DNA, you know, mm-hmm. of that show that makes up that show. And this, I was watching this, it, as I said, it had been years and years since seeing it. I'm watching this, I'm going, they are stealing from Silver Bullet, like, left <laughs> and right. I mean, because of, you got the kid there, you know, and you got, you know, the weird stuff happening in the town. And, mm-hmm. like, this even looks like it. Yeah. You know, Stranger Things really yeah. looks like Silver Bullet. Yeah, I got that too. I got the vibe. Yeah. 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 It's really well done. Good it really stuff. is. Good stuff. Comes out in the 80s. Uh, we've talked about 80s movies before. 80s movies. Uh, a lot. <laughs> really, yeah. We've talked about 80s movies a lot. They, they, But the kids movies, and, and this really does feel like a kids movie, you know, uh, for younger people, I should yeah. say. Not a kids movie, but for, for younger people. It, they had a sense of... <laughs> it feels like a movie for younger people, but the violence is like extreme. <laughs> well... <laughs> that's actually what I was getting at. Um, I I like that it doesn't pull punches with the violence. Mm-hmm. The violence doesn't feel gratuitous, but these 80s movies that were kind of geared towards kids, um, they had a darkness to them. They mm-hmm. were like dark morality plays for kids in a lot of ways. I'm thinking of movies like The Empire Strikes Back and things like that. Yeah, you know, that's true. Some real you know, shades of dark in, in those movies. Even a movie like Back to the Future, which came out in the same year as Silver Bullet, there are some real dark undercurrents in Back to the Future. And you don't have to like, you know, uh, you don't have to look for them. They're there. Mm -hmm. And they're not, you know, I don't feel like they're exploitive. You know, they're they're something that's there. And you can do with them what you will. Right. You know, they don't feel gratuitous. But uh, but they did. And this is one of those ones. I love the fact, you know, 
again, not to knock on today's movies, but this was made today. The violence would be toned down significantly. Mm-hmm. It would be toned down significantly. Uh, you wouldn't get that. Because the first scene in this movie, the great James Gammon is the guy on the uh, railroad tracks who gets his head knocked <laughs> off by the, by the werewolf. And that is a great shot. I know. It's a brutal <laughs> shot. It's kind of funny <laughs> in a way, but it's, it's very, very brutal. And that set the tone for me exactly. for the whole movie. I was like, oh, this thing, don't mess with this thing. Exactly. This thing's evil. And I love what you said. You really nailed it where you said, uh, this isn't like any other werewolf that we've seen mm-hmm. up to this point, you know, on the show, because it is using the, the baseball bat, the peacemaker, you know, and it, and it, and it hasn't, it's not just this wild feral thing. It's, it's right. got some sort of intelligence. I mean, you think werewolf, you think, okay, it's gonna, it's gonna use it, you know, either claw at you or bite you. That's, right. that's the first thing. But this thing's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat your head in with a baseball bat or, right. you know, like, right. And he keeps his intelligence because the Reverend Lowe, does say that uh well i killed this person because i killed this like he he was hunting yes. you know you know hunting them so it's good stuff you know and i love the reason he's like i forgot what the girl's name was the one that was uh pregnant and was gonna yeah. kill herself he's like i did her a favor because she could go to hell and i'm like but you're not doing yourself a favor if you're <laughs> if you're killing people. right <laughs> like what right. Well, that, well faith that's werewolf logic yeah that's, I mean. <laughs> that's what that is <laughs> I I really like this. This was uh, I, I really loved it, and it's one of those uh, kind of lucky things in life where we we were picking movies, <laughs> and the Dead Zone came up, and we want we've been wanting to do Stephen King. It's been a while. It's uh, we did Misery very early on, and then we did do The Shining and Doctor yeah. Sleep, but we haven't touched King in a while, and he's always on the you know we've had mm-hmm. these movies on the list, and so the Dead Zone we pulled, and then I was looking, and just looking at the list of adaptations, the silver bullet was on there and, I, and we were coming off all these creature features. I was mm-hmm. like, that'd be a lot of fun to do like the supernatural and then, then a, a monster movie, yeah, double these bill. these were great picks. And I like that there's an AB aspect to mm-hmm. them, you know, and they're right around the same time too, which is, right. which is great. So we really, I feel like lucked out with the silver bullet pick being, you know, cause I, ha- yeah. I wasn't as familiar with silver bullet as I was the dead zone. So, it was fun. They were both first time watches for me. And I mean, they a lot were of fun, right? They were both just really good. I mean, I was really, really into watching both of them. So really yeah. good picks. Both very atmospheric mm-hmm. and uh, just a lot of fun to watch. Really fun. Really a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So, well, we are going to take a very short break. We're going to tally up our scores and we're going to let you know what we came up with, how the films fared. And uh, this is a news break, so be sure to stay tuned for all of the fake news not fit to print. I am Dan. And I am Faith. We will see you on the other side. for Joe Johnson, private investigator, have been popping up all over Cozy Corner recently. That's right, Faith. Joe Johnson, better known as the 90s action movie private investigator guy, is a disgraced former police officer with both a drinking problem and an ex-wife. 
He also always sports three to four days worth of stubble and has a catchphrase for everything. I saw him apprehend a suspect by hitting upside the head with a surfboard and then heard Johnson say, Surf's up, big kahuna. Although he has a gruff exterior, Johnson does indeed have a heart of gold, and he guarantees that whatever case he takes, it will inevitably lead to something bigger, like police corruption, government corruption, or possibly international terrorism. Joe Johnson, 90s action movie detective guy, is available for hire now. In intergalactic news, Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan is suing her brother, Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, for half of their father's estate. That's right. Luke and Leia's dad, the late Sith Lord Darth Vader, left his entire estate to Skywalker. Apparently, he was only aware of Luke's existence when he had his last will drawn up. Skywalker says he's more than willing to share with Leia Organa and doesn't understand why she's acting like such a princess over the whole thing, adding, quote, It's not like she even liked him. I think he tortured her or something, end quote. We'll keep you posted as soon as we have more information from a galaxy far, far away. And that is the news. Stay tuned for our final scores and a preview of next week's show. We will see you on the other side. Back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, you have the scores, don't you? I do. What do we have? The total for the Dead Zone. The Dead Zone comes out at 3.5 free psychic readings. That is excellent. And Silver Bullet, how many badass wheelchairs did it come out with? 3.4. They were very close. Very close. That's about right. (laughs) I know. That's about right. Yeah. This is uh, double features. We've had some great double features here on the show recently, especially with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing oh, yeah. stuff. This this was a great week. This was of, a really good week. Of, of double features. Celebrating one of the great names in horror, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a great name in horror we haven't gotten to. We've been doing this show for over two years now, and we have not featured this gentleman. I know. Anything, and it's about time we fix that, right? It is about time. Tell them who it is. Vincent Price. It's about time. (laughs) It is about time. And we're going to come at you next week with two Vincent Price films. From 1953, we have House of Wax. This is the film that really established Vincent Price as a star in the horror genre. He had been around for a while up until then, and this is the one that really got him into the genre and created the beast nice (laughs) that he was we're going to pair that with a film from 1973 called theater of blood in which he plays an actor who kills his critics Hmm. there you go that sounds really interesting he considered it to be one of (laughs) if not his best film the very lovely diana rigg who recently passed away she is famous for the british television series the avengers the james bond film on her majesty's secret service and most recently she was on game of thrones she is in that with him. She considered it to be her best film. So that's really saying something considering. I'm excited just, to watch this. I am too. It's been a while. That is really something for both of them to say, considering yeah. some of the work that they did. So that's going to be a lot of fun. House of Wax also features Carolyn Jones, who would go on to portray Morticia Adams in the Adams family on the 
classic television series. So we have some pretty fun movies next week. Yeah, I'm excited. Yes. The week after that, I'm pleased to say we're going to be doing some ghost stories. So we'll be featuring The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. We're going to be featuring The Others with Nicole Kidman. And then we're going to be looking at a couple of remakes after that. We've got 1999's The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. And we're going to be looking at 2017's The Mummy with Tom Cruise. So should be fun. Should be fun. But <laughs> next week, another great name in horror, Mr. Vincent Price. Yeah, it's definitely time we, we spotlight him. House of Wax and Theater of Blood. He was, of course, very close with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. They were all very good friends and appeared in several movies together. So this should be a lot of fun. Yep. We sincerely thank you for letting us drone on in your ears for a little while. <laughs> we hope that you are happy, healthy, and safe and taking your vitamins wherever you are. <laughs> and in the words of the late, great Bob Wilkins, watch horror movies. Keep America strong, right, Faith? There you go. That's right. This really was fun tonight. These movies are, are, are so much fun. Yeah. And uh, Silver Bullet, what a wonderful surprise. You know how good the Dead Zone is going in yeah. because of Cronenberg and Christopher Walken and that cast. But but Silver Bullet, such a such Yeah, a I, watched, I watched the Dead Zone first thinking it was going to be the, you know, the best out of the two. Yeah. But then I went into Silver Bullet, you know, not thinking it was going to be terrible, but just the story. I'm not a big werewolf person. And I was like, okay, I was actually surprised how much I loved it. <laughs> Silver Bullet feels like what a late night fright is supposed to feel like, right? Exactly. It's that late night, yep. late night scary movie that you put on. And uh, I love exactly. it. And, and Corey Haim, God bless him. Yes. Rest in peace, Corey Haim. What a, what a performance. Gary Busey. You can't, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Not at Gary all. Gary Busey. So, well, sincerely, from the bottom of both of our hearts, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to join us next week for that Vincent Price double feature, House of Wax and Theater of Blood and Faith. It feels like it's that time, doesn't it? It does. If we snap our fingers, will the music magically appear? We should try. Let's see. One, two, three. We got it to end. <laughs> One, two, three. <sighs> <laughs> Abracadabra. Ta-da. It's magic. <laughs> it is. It's magic. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Take us home, Faith. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. Stay safe. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs>